Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Astronomy Cast, episode 471, Modern Sci-Fi for the Science Lover, part 3. Welcome to Astronomy Cast, our weekly facts-based journey through the cosmos, where we help you understand not only what we know, but how we know what we know. My name is Fraser Kane. I'm the publisher of Universe Today. With me is Dr. Pamela Gay, the Director of Technology and Citizen Science at the Astronomical Society of the Pacific, and the Director of CosmoQuest. Hey, Pamela, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Fraser? Great. Is this going to be our final show of the year or are we going to do one more before the new year how are you feeling i think we can record next friday so it's the final edited recording of the year it is the penultimate episode of the year and there will be one more recording but it will go out in the new year right but clearly in our minds we're already on holiday so i apologize in advance but we've picked a topic that's going to get me completely riled up and furious. So hopefully that will allow me to bring the energy to this episode while the nog is having its effect on us all. All right. So it's time to talk computers and how we're going to be dealing with them in the future. In our next segment on modern sci-fi, we talk about the future of human computer interface. Well, how do you like this genre? Where do you put this genre from thrilling space opera to cool materials engineering to human computers. So I think nowadays, the idea that there's going to be a computer out there that has some sort of a personality we're forced to interact with, whether it be actually sentient or programmed to be sarcastic. We all know that Siri can be passive aggressive. <laughs> we know that this is what our future will be. And so I think nowadays, if you want to write realistic, near future, far future stories of any kind, you have to include some element of how we're going to be interacting with software and hardware. And I read a great piece. It was like an opinion piece. It was a couple of years ago. And I apologize in advance. I don't remember. But the idea about this was just that this idea of the technological singularity, where we get to this point where computers are making computers, and they're making the computers so quickly that we don't really know what's going on. And, you know, beyond that moment is, is impossible for us to predict. And we're getting there. Sure, we're still on our way towards the technological singularity. But that that point is this singularity in science fiction as well. Because and we're experiencing this every day as you know, as I talk to uh, yeah, Hey, Google, what time is it? It's 1212. So, uh, right. So we are surrounded by computers now that are listening and interacting with us and destroying us in chess and go and drawing pictures of celebrities that we've never even imagined before and making people speak like there's technical demonstrations that allow like, you know, like Barack Obama, they like it makes him it talks with his voice, but it's not him set to the video of him. Anyway, it's just, it's just terrifying. So 
And this is a huge challenge for science fiction writers that the technological singularity provides this line that it's really hard to predict the future when you've got this. So we're just going to smash ourselves against the singularity today and see where we get. And what I love is in the olden days before people realized now really this is just how it's going to happen. You had folks like Frank Herbert with Dune saying, and there shall be a future where computers are banned and we just like do things with the human brain. And then of course you have Battlestar Galactica, which is my favorite, where you inadvertently get Cylons, which may be the future we're headed towards, and therefore you ban all AIs and all internet and things like that just to prevent the computers from continuing to take over. Yeah, you're not allowed to plug one computer into another. That's forbidden, because that's how you get AIs. But what was it last week, two weeks ago, Google announced that one of Google's AIs had written new AIs that did better at image analysis than the parent AI did. So our AIs are getting AIs now. Right. So let's talk about some sci-fi that we think does a great job of handling this. Do you want to go first? You got one? I do. Have you read Old Man's War by John Scalzi yet? I have. The Brain Powell. This is the thing that I have a feeling is probably the closest to happening, where we're starting to get to the point that people can control artificial limbs with their brains. We have cochlear implants. People are working on vision implants. It's only a matter of time before they start implanting the computer, just stick the whole thing in there. Right. And of course, Elon Musk talked about this neural lace idea, and then he started another company to look into that. There's some kind of interface between our brains and computers. And, you know, and that's still a pretty big technological challenge. But yeah, Old Man's War is great. I think the book that got me really kind of thinking about this is Rainbow's End. Did you read Rainbow's End? Yes, but I'm drawing a blank on the book. Hold on. The gist of the book is that the main character is suffering from Alzheimer's. And so he kind of wakes up like he's just saved by the technology, but he spent quite a while in this Alzheimer's haze. And then they're able to cure the Alzheimer's. And at the same time, he then finds himself in a world that has fully embraced virtual reality and these kinds of technologies. And what's great is it allows us as the reader to come along and be exposed to all of these different kinds of jarring technologies and consider the implications when you just didn't that they just didn't happen. I mean, again, we are still only 10 years after the iPhone, right? Like we're only 10 years into this and they sucked for the first few. Like, like really, I feel like the modern smartphone is like, what, five years that we've been using these things really in the level that we do today. So yeah, and it's amazing. It's breaking old people. I had to go get like your yearly make sure your cholesterol isn't going to kill you blood work yesterday. And uh, to sign in for lab work, it's just an iPad screen and you just type information in, no big deal. To me, it was the easiest thing in the world. But apparently, old people just want to like hurl it out a window. So we've hit the point where humans can't keep up with the technology anymore because it's evolving faster than people can afford to keep up with it. And if you're older and on a fixed income, forget it. It's just not going to happen. You're going to get completely left behind culturally and be unable to interact with the world around you. So what's another one that you liked? Have you read Ancillary Justice by Anne Lackey yet? No. This is a book that got like 
all the awards. It got the Hugo, it got the Nebula, it got the Isaac Asimov. I think it's like one of the only books to ever do that. And it may be the only book to ever do that. And one of the things that they do is they actually download computers into humans, take over their bodies. And so instead of building robots, they're just like, we're just going to like take over a human. No big deal. Right. So then there's, of course, the struggle of when one of the AIs decides to go rogue and become its own entity separate from the collective of its parent AI. Wow. Now, we've mentioned the Bobiverse on uh, multiple occasions, but once again, they do a great job of setting up essentially a human being that's been turned into a computer and that all of the others go crazy. So the point is, is that all of the previous people that this was done to go crazy, but he comes up with a fairly novel way to stay grounded and stay sane, which is to create this virtual environment that then makes him feel like he's a human being again. He snow crashed it. Yeah, exactly. So he essentially snow crashes his own reality and spends that time in this snow crash version. Now, why don't you explain the snow crash reference? Because <laughs> that, that's relevant too. So, so Neil Stevenson, in one of his earlier books, he imagines a near future. And you see the same thing in Ready Player One. You see the same thing in the Caprica series for Battlestar Galactica, just to bring that up again, where we reach the point where you put on a VR headset and it taps into your brain so that you have full spatial interactive touch sensory immersive reality. So you don the headset, you're in the video game, you don the headset, you go to school, you don the headset, you're at a dinner party. And as you interact with it, with Snow Crash, there's actually the possibility that you can catch a brain virus, which is kind of amazing to think about. And the story goes into all the different things that happens with Ready Player One, which is a new book that takes a very similar idea. It looks at the, again, near future of our cities are getting so massive that humans basically live atop humans in many parts of the world. Here in North America, we don't really have any mega cities, but you go to Delhi, you go to uh, Lagos, you go to Mexico City, you go to Rio de Janeiro. Many of these million, million, million people cities, which like in China, one million people is a small city. It's almost impossible to get around because the humanity is at such a density that you can't build infrastructure. And so in this overly populated future in Ready Player One, the idea is you don't have to try and get somewhere. You log in, you don your visor, and you go to school without leaving your home. You go to work without leaving your home. And so you still have humans stacked upon humans, but at least you can escape. Right, yeah. I mean, Ready Player One, and you know they've got the final official trailer has come out for it and i think steven spielberg is directing it so it's going to be interesting oh, wow. to see yeah, yeah yeah so it's going to be interesting to see sort of what they do with it i think with ready player one it was very heavy-handed about 
the 80s references you know like i think there was a part of it that felt almost a little shameless you know to go like but it was meant to be for sure it's a guy's love affair with his childhood sure and so it looks like the one they're doing is references from everything like do you remember when you watch who framed roger rabbit and you saw all of those characters all in there all at the same time and you just like this is so great who you know the lawyers how did they license exactly the lawyers must not have been paying attention today and that's i think what you know the ready player one movie is going to have because you see characters from overwatch as well as older stuff as well so i'm kind of looking forward to that less feeling like i'm getting manipulated for my 80s nostalgia and more being able to just enjoy all of these different properties coming together in this massive mayhem. So we'll see how that works out. But if you are nostalgic for your 80s childhood or teenagerhood or 20-somethinghood when you were discovering video games, read Ready Player One. It's totally an inside joke. The entire book is an inside joke. Yeah. Got another one for me? Have you read Webmage series by Kelly McCullough? No. So this one is one of the few fantasy fiction books that I'm bringing in in this category. The idea is that our quantum mechanics notion that every time a decision is made, the universe splits is real. And every possible outcome happens in one of these splits. So in the suite of splits that the first book is set in, the Greek gods are all real and they're all still actively engaged. And magic has gotten so complicated that they have to use basically smartphones, supercomputers, depending on what level of magic they're doing, to invoke the magic. And what's cool is the main character's laptop converts into basically a little gremlin when it needs to do magic. So it goes from being a happy little magic doing laptop to being like full on gremlin-y type character. It's it's cyberpunk cross fantasy. It is fabulous and addictive and the true gods can whistle in binary. And I really want to know what that would sound like. So I've got a, a oh man, I've, I've got another recommendation, and I'd never know whether I'm supposed to make this recommendation, which is Ender's Game, which, you mm. know, Orson Scott Card. So, yeah. you know, just be aware there's a huge controversy about Orson Scott Card, and you, you're going to want to look into that and make your own decision about whether to read Ender's Game. But Ender's Game is a really good book. It's an amazing book. And definitely sort of deals with this idea of, like, computer simulating – war as a way of training future generals and giving essentially, you know, one child the ability to control an enormous fleet of ships, you know, from a central place and doing the whole thing remotely. And it's really this idea of telepresence, right, that we as human beings are limited in terms of just what we can do physically. But what are the kinds of senses? What are the kinds of manipulators that we can have if you sort of extend things out to computers and robots and machines like that and is a way. And I think this is something that we're really dealing with. You know, a lot of the drone operators, the people who are in the United States and they're flying lethal aircraft halfway across the world and dealing with the sort of the psychological. It feels like a video game, but real people are dying right. and they're into zero danger. Yeah. And so there is this psychological price that these people are paying to do this work. 
And yet it, as you say, really feels like a video game. And we have just started down the pathway towards this. I mean, if the drones are that effective, you can keep your soldiers and your pilots safe. Next thing is going to be tanks. And the next thing is going to be robots that are controlled on the battlefield, even though people are calling for bans. And so you can sort of get a sense of what that's going to look like. And the other side of it with Ender's Game is this child prodigy at warfare, which is a horrific thing to be. He is struggling with the dichotomy of having to hurt people to advance. And there is essentially a compassionate video game on his computer that is trying to push him to cope and push him to think and it it becomes in many ways his truest friend throughout the entire series and so just this idea that we can write software to help people deal with ptsd and things like that and the the software can essentially gain an insight on how to interact with humans that is more than what a human can do have you seen the movie her yet no, not yet. No, it's on my list to watch over the holidays. Oh, great. Because, it, you know, I think it's one of the best movies that I've – I would say it's the best movie that I've ever seen that deals with the sort of the human-computer interface, sort of the perfect version of the human-computer interface where – I mean, not the part where it actually gets plugged into your brain and from that point forward. And it's a movie, you know, not a book, but the main character gets a new operating system and everyone uses these little earbud-based operating systems that they, you know, like check my email and, you know, what are my appointments today, you know, the kinds of stuff you can kind of do right now. <laughs> I think when they made that movie two years ago, they thought it was very futuristic. But, you know, it's very robotic, right? You got a new email from so-and-so. What do you want to do? Delete. No new email from so-and-so. What do you want to do? Confirm. But he gets this new version of the operating system, and it learns and talks to him, and it's very conversational, and he falls in love with his operating system. But that way of being able to interact with a computer, to have this entity riding shotgun with you seeing life and being able to advise you and help you make decisions and be able to do things for you it felt very realistic and it felt like a way that does make a lot more sense and after watching that movie i find myself interacting with the search engines that surround me i don't know if you ever do this you know we both wear a similar kind of headset yeah but you press the button on the side and it goes boop boop and then you say like what time is it and then in your ear someone tells you what time it is and it really felt like a great analogy for what the future is i don't want to ruin the ending but i found the ending not the kind of ending i was expecting well, and then you have like in Mr. Robot where the one, uh, I want to say police officer, I may have the wrong job for her, is constantly talking to Alexa as her best friend. And and you can actually hold rather profound conversations with Alexa. I, I'm not going to lie. I ditched uh, Mr. Robot halfway through this current season. Oh, I only watched the first season. I started to watch the second. I was just like, Bleh. yeah, 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 yeah. No, but the first season was so good. And and have you seen Chappie? Yes. That's another one where you have the operating system essentially become sentient and you have the compassionate struggles of an AI. Yeah. So just a couple more on the TV show front. One that I think is just really good 
is a person of interest. Have you ever watched that at all? Yes. The first season of it is very much like mystery of the week. Like it's, the gist of it is that there's an AI researcher that's developed this computer for the NSA or some three letter agency. And it sort of does whatever they want, but also he sort of added a compassionate part of it that's trying to help other people. All of all of this other, the people who would have slipped through the cracks, this computer is designed to sort of send him social insurance numbers that he can then, oh, you call them social security numbers? Um, You know, <laughs> um, right? So send you these numbers and then you can find out where the person's in trouble. And so it's very, it's very episodic is the way it sort of begins. But over time, they sort of make it stretch out more over, you know, that there's this underlying conflict that's happening between the AI that he creates and other AIs. And it's a very realistic take on how these AIs, it felt to me anyway, might kind of move forward and interact with each other and try to be protected and try to be controlled and be seen as weapons by the agencies that think they're controlling them. And they did a really good job of sort of transitioning from what was just like a gimmick procedural to what the, you know, the future may hold for this. And it's such a complex dance that so many different people are trying to figure out. What I love is the book, All the Birds in the Sky, which is another fairly brand new one that was nominated for a bunch of awards. In this one, you have someone trains their AI through conversation with a very lonely teenage girl. And it turns out that when you give the AI the ability to Google and search and research and try and come up with things, there's this transition point where it goes from responding with looked up answers to asking questions to suddenly one day, actually, the code that it has written for itself as it trains makes it essentially sentient. Wow. Yeah. And so just the idea that someone can learn humanity through conversation with someone who's hurting and alone is such a powerful idea that I'm surprised we haven't seen more of it in terms of like how alien interactions transpire and things like that. But that's only one small part of the story. So go read it so you can get at all the parts of the story. While we're talking on television, and I guess this is going to come up twice. Last week, we talked about Westworld, the new Westworld as part of sort of 3D printing and, and manufacturing. But another big part of it is just it as a television show trying to have these robots that don't know that they're robots. And so, yes. And then you have In Six Wakes by Merle Lafferty, which has also come up multiple times and is a book. There's the idea that when you download yourself into a new body, which I know is something you would like to do, you have the potential that someone can essentially implant things into your brain and that none of us are anything more or less than complex software, which you can add new algorithms to. So imagine being able to actually go in and review the code of a mind and hack out this thing and add in this other attribute. So it's a very interesting concept of once you're able to download your brain, you can change your brain. Right. And then are you still you? No. 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 Well, that's a question. Now, now keep, <laughs> I, I want to just sort of make a note. I don't want to download my body into a robot. I am just willing to do that beyond the alternative, which is to turn into worm food. So, Yes, that's true. Yeah. That's true. So let's talk, a, I guess, 
I don't know, do, should we talk about the, you know, all of this has been sort of fairly happy and fairly just, you know, like, oh, this is super interesting. And, but how do we prevent the robot the apocalypse? Well, the robot apocalypse, right? You know, the matrix is being one example, but just this, you know, that how do we know that the computers aren't going to have a better job to do with us, you know? The robot apocalypse actually started this week. Oh, did? I forget exactly where it was, but there were folks, uh, some company that got sick and tired of all the homeless people around their building. And instead of sending a human being out to... (laughs) I saw this. They sent out a robot. To go nag them to leave. Yeah. And so we now have robots going out because the humans themselves lacked the ability to go out because they knew they were being mean. Yeah. So they sent a robot to be mean. And so we are apparently teaching robots to be mean to homeless people. <laughs> so that is, that's it. That's the robot apocalypse right there. Our robots are going to be mean for us. So if you like, you get called in to your boss's office, but the robot is sitting there. You're so screwed. Then you know you're getting fired, <laughs> right? Because your boss just doesn't have the heart to tell you that you're fired. And I think Clippy was perhaps the first step in the robot apocalypse. Sounds like you're getting fired. (laughs) Would you like some help with a new resume? All right. We, uh, you, the, I guess, you know, getting me going on the robot apocalypse and the, is a, is a whole other thing. And I'm, you know, I, I refuse to take the bait and, and go down that, uh, that rabbit hole. We don't have time for that rabbit hole. So instead, I think we're going to wrap this up. We showed you a bunch of science fiction televisions and books, and hopefully you will make a bunch of recommendations to us as well. I think we're going to do one more episode next week. Where we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the bio side of science fiction. Perfect. But before we go, let's just remind everyone, we are part of a tax deductible entity. If you're listening to this and it's still 2017, when your itemized deductions still matter a lot, if you're here in the United States, then you can donate and uh, lower your tax responsibility. Yeah. Are you paying too much taxes? Let us help you with that. We are happy to take your donations. Uh, go to astronomycast.com slash donate and find out how you can help make this more and more a part of Fraser and I's day job. Right on. All right. We'll see you next week, Pamela. See you later, Fraser. Thank you for listening to Astronomy Cast, a nonprofit resource provided by Astrosphere New Media Association, Fraser Kane and Dr. Pamela Gay. You can find show notes and transcripts for every episode at astronomycast.com. You can email us at info at astronomycast.com, tweet us at astronomycast, like us on Facebook, or circle us on Google+. We record our show live on YouTube every Friday at 1.30 p.m. Pacific, 4.30 p.m. Eastern, or 20.30 GMT. If you missed the live event, you can always catch up over at cosmoquest.org or on our YouTube page. To subscribe to the show, point your podcatching software at astronomycast.com slash podcast.xml or subscribe directly from iTunes. If you would like to listen to the full unedited episode, including the live viewers' questions and answers, you can subscribe to astronomycast.com slash feed slash full raw. Our music is provided by Travis Searle, and the show was edited by Chad Weber. This episode of Astronomy Cast was made possible thanks to donations by people like you. Please give by going to patreon.com slash astronomycast.